Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Amen. So, verse 1, and I think I got my notes mixed up from first service. This ought to be interesting. We'll see how it goes. I don't have page numbers. Uh, (laughs) That'll be fun. Somebody's going to get hurt. So here's hoping. Um, Names, you know, we may not think there's much difference to a name. There's how many Johns and Jacks and Joes and Jims and Bills and Bobs and Bens. Anyway, and so you don't know necessarily about a name, whether or not it's something that is uh, real significant for that person. But it's theirs, right? You know, it's their name that you live with it. That's who you know them by. Um, just what your parents wanted to call you for whatever reason, your, you know, grandpa or your grandpa's middle name or, I don't know, maybe your grandma and her middle name or whatever, but we named our daughter after a Christian song from back in the 70s. I won't make her stand up, but, um, (laughs) anyway, I got the mic now. Anyway, (laughs) but we named her Hallelujah after this song by John Michael Talbot called Hallelujah. It's a great worship song. If you want to look it up, it's out there on the YouTube. I looked it up. And, uh, uh, you know, her name is Holly Louise. And we got a little bit of the namesake in there because her mom's name is Mary and Louise, if you didn't know that was her middle name. And my family always called her Mary Lou. I, you know, but anybody else is probably going to get punched for that. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, goodbye heart. Huh? So, um Anyway, we have names that uh, some people are giving their kids today, and you've got to wonder how much they hate their kids to give them that name. You know, Moonbeam, why would you want to be, or, or, you know, I can, I don't want to list them off because some poor soul says, is there any Moonbeams here today? But, uh, you know, they get used to that. You, that's your name, and, and no matter what, you know, that's who people know you by, you get used to it, and that's who you answer to, it's no big deal, Moonbeam or otherwise. But your name can certainly affect the course of your life somewhat. You know, people are going to give you nicknames. It's going to end up one way or the other, and you're going to be introduced to people and first impressions. But it really isn't until you get to know somebody, really, uh, who they are. The name is just the, the moniker, if you will, and how to get their attention, maybe. So it really has more to do with who you are than what you're called. From the beginning, God has made himself known by his name. And it's how we know him, uh, by, by his name and what he does. And that really is what a name is when it comes to God. It's what he does and who he is. In Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, uh, in the beginning, God, that is Elohim, and that is the true God, the divine ruler, 
creator, mighty, strong. Genesis 2, verse 4, in the day that the Lord, capital L, capital O, R, R, capital R and D, God made the heavens and the earth. Now that's Jehovah along with Elohim. Jehovah is his name. God is that he is a God. Jehovah is, Elohim is that he is God, and Jehovah is his name. And it means the existing one. It's the proper name of the one true God. Together with Elohim, they read the Lord God, whenever you see that in the scriptures. Um, looking at some of the names that the, the scriptures use of the Lord, uh, the one is El, and El simply means uh, power. And so Elohim, or Eloah, is the singular. Elohim is plural, uh, which is interesting, too, for those of us who are not polytheists, but we believe in a triune God. We believe in the Godhead, Elohim. But El means power. Elohim, God, creator, mighty, strong. El Shaddai, God Almighty. And with the, the context of the mighty God, the one of Jacob. And so it adds to that his, his uh, relationship to Israel and to Jacob. Adonai is the Lord. It's also used in the place of Yahweh, so Adonai. Um, Yahweh... Uh, Y-H-W-H is how they would pronounce it um, or they would basically write it because when you see the Jews or the Hebrews or the religious of Israel writing it, they're just going to put G space D because it's for them blasphemous for any simple human being or plain human being to speak the name of Almighty God. That is a good reverence, but it's it's not uh, something that God commanded that you never speak his name. Um, so Yahweh is how we would say it, which is the same as Jehovah. And so Yahweh and Jehovah are interchangeable, and Jehovah simply means the Lord, again, as we said. But there's a few of the prominent um, ways it's used throughout Scripture. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Mekdash. Dash, Mikkadesh, uh, or Kadesh, and the Lord who sanctifies or makes holy. And you guys know we sing that song here, Kodet, Kadosh. I'm sorry, Eric does a better job. And uh, we're, you know, we're singing about the holiness. The Lord is holy. Um, Yahweh or Jehovah Shalom. We all know what Shalom means. The Lord is our peace. Uh, Jehovah Elohim, again, the Lord God, Elohim. Uh, Jehovah Tzidkanu. The Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. Jehovah uh, Shema, the Lord is there. And Jehovah Sebaoth, the Lord of hosts. Then El Elyon. El is again that power prefix. El Elyon is the Most High. So, um, you know, that kind of basically quantifies, or I shouldn't say quantifies, but qualifies him as the Most High God. There's there's none higher than he. El Roy, the God of seeing, or Roi, I should say. Uh, El Olam, the everlasting God, and El Gibor, the mighty God. These are the names of God and the way it's used in Scripture, having to do with the context where it's used, but it's good to look it up. Uh, each one of these has a, a, a different Greek uh, word to it uh, in adding to El, that is power, or Jehovah or simply El Shaddai, or Elohim, I should say, which is God. 
Um, Exodus 3, if you're willing, let's turn there. Because David said, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Exodus 3. We're going to look at verses uh, 6, 13, and 18. And a few others, maybe. This is when, uh, you know, Moses was... uh, off to the land of Midian, he he got uh, he ran from Egypt after he had uh, gotten in a uh, trouble there, and they started to find out who he was. He wasn't a, a son of Pharaoh and an Egyptian, but he turns out in fact he was one of the Hebrews. He takes off and runs to Midian. In Midian, he's tending sheep and pick up in verse one. He's tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Midian, if you think of Mount Horeb, and Midian is down to the southern part. If you were to go to Israel, you'd go down to the Negev, and, the, and Midian was down to the southern part. And then you'd have Jordan, then you'd have Syria. Back then it was um, uh, Moab and um, Edom. And, but Midian was down to the Saudi Arabia side these days. Uh, angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do uh, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. So moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The God of your father, Elohim, the God of Abraham, Elohim. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. And he goes on, skipping down to verse 13. Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children, so, so basically the Lord is sending him now back to Israel to lead his people out of captivity, and he was going to use him as his mouthpiece. And In verse 13, he says, you know, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, the Lord God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, you know, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to them, say, I am who I am. God, the existing one, he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. And um, again, that uh, to, to exist, he's the existing one. It's possible that they didn't remember there was a God. It's possible that they were just uh, in slavery and, and they need to be reminded that in fact there was a God and that they had come and he had come to, um, to gather them back out and take them out of slavery. And so in verse um, 18, it's a little different. So now, what about when I go before Pharaoh? He says, Then they will heed your voice, the Israelites, and you will, and the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now that is different. That is Jehovah. That's his name. It's the Lord Elohim, creator. And that's being said to Pharaoh now. So he tells Israel, you know, I'm here. I exist. I'm here. I'm taking you out of captivity. 
He says to the Pharaoh, this is my name, and I am God, God Almighty. Pharaoh needs to hear this. It's gonna, eventually, it's, he's going to have his heart, heart hardened, but he needs to know that what he was dealing with was the God that is Jehovah, creator. And being sure Pharaoh knows his name, that he's the creator, mighty and strong. Exodus 34, if you'd like to flip there next. Um, we pick up the story when uh, uh, Moses came down the mountain the first time with the Ten Commandments. He gets down there, and sure enough, there's a golden calf. They couldn't wait. They're waiting a God. They wanted a God. They wanted to be able, not just a God that was God, but a God they could make in their own image. Um, so they put together all their earrings and jewelry and everything they could find and, and melted it down, made this golden calf. Rule number one is if you can make your God out of your own hands, he's not a God because obviously you can make him. <laughs> you know? And so anything that you may possibly have, I'm sorry if it's a you know, 67 Mustang, but you know, still don't let it be your God. It's made with human hands. Um, Moses wanted to see God's face. You know? So basically he, he smashed the, the, the Ten Commandments. The people were... were just completely in, in adultery, and, and uh, it was Moses. You know, lost his cool, and he smashed it. You rebellious people, and uh, so he ends up going back up to get another pair of tablets. And but he he wants to know, you know, Lord, are you going to take these people? Are you going to lead us? And he says, you know, Lord, show me that you're with us. Show me that you're with me in this. Show me that. Show me your glory, Lord. Maybe show me your face, but he says here, show me your glory. And um, I want to see you, is what he says. And the Lord says, you cannot see my face. No man will see my face and live. And so Moses, um, and he says, you know, go ahead and go on up and, and I'll, I'll show you uh, my glory. And uh, when he passed by, he put his hand over his face, but then he could see as he passed by. And in verse... Um, 5 and 8 of, of uh, Exodus 34, it says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, Elohim, the Lord God, Jehovah God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Yeah. Moses wanted to see you know, the Lord's face. Moses wanted to see his glory. The Lord wanted, to see, wanted Moses to see who he was. He wanted Moses and all of us to see who he is. Certainly, it's one thing to see glory. Certainly, we, we look at creation. and We're going to talk, be talking about all of that. But what God wants for us to know about him is who he is, what his nature is, what his character is. That's his name. That's his glory. And, uh, you know, so our, it goes through these, as you do the word study through this, so who is our God and what is his nature? First one, the Lord, Jehovah, the existing one. The Lord God, El, the Mighty One, the Power. So Almighty God with all power. Merciful, and that word is compassionate, always used of God. Gracious, which is to show favor or to show pity, but it's tied together with his response when we call on him. 
It's not graciousness that he's just standing there being gracious. It's graciousness towards those who call on him. And so it has to do with our side of things with that. The next one, long-suffering. Now it's two words in English, and it's two words in the Hebrew as well. Long, patient, slow, stretched out. It's going to be a long time before it comes to pass. The second one, suffering, is the word nostril. (laughs) And again, we talked about that a few weeks back. It has to do with God's face. It has to do with his face when it's angry. And so if some of your translations may have said, instead of long-suffering, it probably said slow to anger. In fact, that is God's nature. It's a long time. It's slow. It's patient. It takes a long time before he gets angry. Okay, and so his, his nature, he's long-suffering. He's not right there ready to blow up. It's a long time. Abounding, which means much, many, great, ample, plenty, however you want to say it, abounding. It's, there's plenty there. Of what? Well, goodness. He's not going to run out. There's always plenty of goodness. And that word goodness means kindness and faithfulness and truth. He's not going to run out of truth. And that truth is firmness, faithfulness, uh, truth, sureness, reliability, stability, continuance. It's there. It's not going anywhere. And it's going to continue on. He's got plenty of that. And he is... uh, abounding in that truth as spoken as a testimony a judgment instruction doctrine true knowledge in fact in writing the colossians uh paul talks about that he's word for him that they would have you know somebody come along and delude them or try and trick them he's saying no god has all truth and everything's complete and you know you're complete in him he is full all fullness dwells in him you don't need any other truth you don't need any other thing to water down the simple gospel of who jesus is and you know without getting too sidetracked that's temptation for us isn't it we we sometimes just can't sit and receive we have to take up and and uh, try and add to the cross and so um it's a uh it's a um, nature of god and he's abundant in truth but by means wait i've I skipped ahead of myself. Keeping guard, it says. Keeping is to guard or to watch over, to keep close. And what is he keeping guard over? That goodness and that kindness. So it's something not only that he has, but it's something he's going to maintain and it's going to, he's going to keep. Nothing's going to take it. Forgiving is an interesting word. We think of forgiving often as that, you know, he's washed us clean. And uh, in this particular context, it has to do with the simple lifting up. He's going to lift it up. He's going to bear it up. He's going to carry it. He's going to take it. That's the word forgiving. What's he going to lift up, bear up, and keep, and carry, and take? Iniquity. And that word iniquity is perversity, depravity, guilt, transgression. What's that? Well, that's rebellion. Sin. Sin is the condition of sin. It says there, you know, the guilt, the uncleanness, your state of sin, how you are. All of these things, you know, he is lifting up. That's what it says his forgiveness does. And in this, in this situation with Moses and his nature, God's nature towards Moses and towards us and towards Israel, that they would remember and they'd recite throughout their history to this day in synagogues and temples around the world. You know, this passage, you know, it's Exodus 34. 
forgiving, to bear up, to carry, to take. But by no means, as he goes on, clearing. In other words, to clear would be to clean or acquit or to make innocent. In other words, he's carrying these things that are ours, the sin, the rebellion, the perversity. He's carrying these things. But by no means is he removing that from us because, you know, he's going to visit this and attend it, you know, number it, reckon it, and look after that, that people know that they're sinners. You know, he can't take away the fact that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Now, we will one day raise up and our bodies will be glory, glorified. And we'll have that uh, for all eternity. But as for now, we are born into sin. So he carries and bears it up in his forgiveness and his kindness and his goodness and his mercy and his compassion. But he cannot clear away the truth that we are depraved, we are guilty, we are rebellious, we are sinful. And it's in every one of us of every generation of mankind that we are born sinners and lost. So when David says, back to Psalm 5, O Lord, our Lord, he's saying, O Jehovah, our God, our true God, and our Master. That's what David's saying here, just by definition of some of the things we see. And it's about God's nature. But he says, how excellent. And that word excellence, interesting, it means great. It means majestic. It's spoken of the waters of the sea, you know, unfathomable and huge. Certainly today we can measure things these days, but um, the idea then was so excellent, so great, so vast. Like a, just the magnific- magnificence of a tree is how that word is used, that word excellent. And it's obviously spoken of the excellence of kings and nations and uh, the great one, uh, majestic one. These are all the, the meanings of the word excellent. And then in verse 1 he goes on to say, in all the earth. So, gone out into all the earth. Um, how excellent is your name in all the earth? You know, Romans one twenty will tell us, uh, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that, our, so that mankind is without excuse. It's gone out into all the earth. Matthew 24 says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. That's down through the centuries to every nation, every person. That's, you know, the gospel, Colossians 1.23 says the gospel, Paul says, was preached to every creature under heaven, was, as in, it's been done. And yet, we're still commanded to go forth and spread the gospel. And um, we know that that is the commission for us, the Lord said to do so. But nevertheless, you know, his name is exalted. It's excellent. And how excellent it is in all the earth. And he says he has set his glory above the heavens. Now, the glory is, is um, splendor, the majesty the vigor is the word of the Lord. God's vigor, God's life, and the majesty and the splendor of that. It's above anything that we can see or perceive. It says above the heavens, and you know some might interpret that as the stars, and people think we can see beyond the stars. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later too. But, but God's ways are above our ways is the idea, and that's his habitation. That's where God dwells, above the heavens. Way above anything that we can even imagine. And yet, look now, he, he uses the simplest, most harmless, and vulnerable to show his strength in verse 2. Babes and infants. He says, 
Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Or you could say it's like this, because of your enemies, out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have ordained strength. And it's interesting how you look at that. Ordained simply means founded, the foundation, established, to begin. It's the beginning point. It's fixed there. This is ordained. It's appointed from the beginning. And it starts with this. You know, he starts with this at this point, and it's established at this point that this is how he's going to, you know, silence his enemies. Well, you know, the strength is might, strength, material, physical, personal, political. That strength is found out of the mouths of babes and infants. What, what do babes and infants do? Feed me, change me, help me, I need you. You went away, where did you go? Come back, and I'm going to cry until I see your face again. That's what they do. They have nothing to do except ask for help. That's what comes out of the mouths of babes and infants, right? So our strength, his strength, is in what? Our desire, or our asking him for help. Our dependence on him. That's where our strength is. Not in ourselves, not in anything we've accomplished. Our strength is in our dependence on him. And, um, you know, what do God's enemies say? I don't need you. Get away from me. I don't want to acknowledge or do anything you ask. You ain't the boss of me, and they're not going to bend the knee. You know, that's the enemies of God. Where's their strength? Well, in themselves. Well, there you have it. He's ordained his strength out of those that will know that their dependence is on him. So you're stronger than the guys out there that are going to say that they can do it in their own strength. And you need to know that. In verse 2, it says it silences uh, the enemy, the avenger, because of the enemies. It basically means to bind and tie up and shut up, squeeze down, to narrow, vex, to make still, to rest, to cease, to put an end to, to destroy, silence the enemies of the Lord and uh, the avenger. Matthew 11, if you want to turn there. Verse 25, and then we're going to also keep your fingers to Matthew 21 and Luke 10 while we're kind of thinking about it. And the Lord said in Matthew 11, verse 25, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed it to babes. And we'll see what he's talking about there. Those that thought that they would find the Lord... Uh, we're looking for the signs. Uh, Matthew twenty-one fourteen through 16 says, Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And he said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Well, yes, have you ever read, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? Our dependence on him. Luke 10. The Lord had sent out his disciples without um, sword or food or provision. They would go from one town to the next and stay in one house or the next. And he says, you know, if they don't let you in, kick, you know, kick the dust off your feet and go to the next one. And... Um, he gets to, when they finally return back, and they say, they're returning with joy. These guys are jumping up and down, Lord, Lord. 
Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And you shall uh, by any, or, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But nevertheless, notice this, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And it says, in that hour Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to the babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. And you know, Wednesday night we went through Corinthians, um, and what kills me is I can't remember what exactly address that was, but um, we're talking about where Paul says, you know, I didn't come to you in great wisdom of speech. He came to him fearful and shaking. It says trembling he came to them, not with words of human wisdom. And so it's not the, and he goes on in that chapter to talk about it's the, the weak things that confound the wise, the wisdom of the wise. And we do a whole word study on the word wisdom. Um, but babes and infants, you know, that's where he had ordained his strength. Now, verse 3, back to Psalm 8. He says, consider the moon and the stars. He says, when I consider the, moon, the work of your hands, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. The word um, consider there means to just simply see them, just to look up and see them, give attention to, to observe. This morning I went out kind of early, you know, and uh, sure enough, the moon, exact, almost an exact half a moon, I don't know what the actual times are right now in the calendar per se, but it was a half moon pointing straight, obviously straight to where the sun was going to come up and the stars were out. I saw the Big Dipper and all that stuff, and I'm thinking about that. I don't know what you think of when you look up at the, the stars, you know. Um, just wondering why or how they have their influence over gravity and, and you know, the tides and and all that. And nowadays with all the sci-fi and all the uh, stuff you see in the media and so forth about, you know, fiction with the moon breaking up or with different planets and different things, they're able to make all of these, you know, fictional things that look pretty cool and all and maybe cause you to wonder, um, now, NASA and the Hubble, they have pictures, actual pictures of space, and there's some pretty glorious stuff. There's some pretty cool things there that you can look at, these galaxies or these gas clouds and the colors and the way, the way they're in front and behind. And, and it, it is glorious. It really is, knowing that until the last 50 years, nobody saw that but God. And um, it was, uh, you know... Once I, once I was in Haiti and I, I was able to see the Milky Way, it's the only time, I've, well, the only time I, I know for sure that I saw the Milky Way, which is basically a, kind of a, a lighter, if any of you have seen it, a lighter part of the night sky that goes across the whole thing. And, and that was pretty cool. And, and the, there's no street lights or city lights down there to kind of wash it out and make it hard to see in the night sky. But he also says, uh, God's word says, he made them for light to light up the night sky and he made the stars uncountable, you know, the same as the sand of the sea. He used it as examples to describe how he was going to bless Abraham with the number of descendants. The idea is, you know, there's billions of stars. You know, somebody's out there counting them as we speak, and they keep coming up with more. And nobody has counted the sands of the sea. And so obviously the idea is not that there would be that many, because 
you know, world history, global, you know, we know that there's a limited number of human beings that have been here. But he uses that as a, it's without number. You're not going to be able to count how many. That's the idea here. And so he uses the stars to declare his glory, his eternal nature, the Bible says. And to this day, when they point their high-powered telescopes to this, they'll, they'll take the, the Hubble or a radio telescope and they'll say, well, there's a dark spot over here. It looks like there's nothing in there that we've seen yet. And we're going to point this over there and see if we can find the end of space. Maybe we'll see the edge of the known universe, you know, and find out how big it is. And they just find a whole other blanket of more galaxies and stars. It just, and it's funny, um, I didn't look this source up, and I don't know, I may be proven wrong in this, uh, but I had read once where, you know, the, the Higgs boson collider that sends the atoms around and they collide into each other and they're going to find this particle and they smash an atom down and they find this tiny particle. And they thought that they had the, the God particle because it was the tiniest thing known to man. It's the one thing that ties together everything else and two little other things split off of it. Well, what are we going to do with those now? They're tinier than the thing we thought was the tiniest thing. And they point to this space and they find the, the, the blackest part and they find just tons more. No matter how small they go, they find something smaller. No matter how big they go, they find something bigger. If they find the end of the universe and, and they can measure it, you know, well, then they'll know the span of God's hand. And then they can measure how tall God is based on the average span of a hand to a guy's height. It's just nuts. I, I get snarky with these, the wisdom of the world. I can't help it. I'm sorry. Please forgive. Um, so, to be mindful, you know, and I do believe, this is where I mixed up my notes. There it is. The second ordained, now we see that he uh, has ordained these. That now means firm, stable, established, fixed, secure. It's determined to be secure. God put it there. God's going to keep it there. It's not going anywhere. You know, It's arranged the way he arranged it. It's fastened where he fastened it. And that's why it's going to stay. This does not mean that God cannot put his hand in and do whatever he desires in his own creation. One of the plagues of Egypt, when you talk about God sending light at night, light in the day, one of the plagues of Egypt against one of their gods, Ra, he was their sun god. And so one by one, the Lord in the plagues was taking out the gods of Egypt, you know, the frogs. He sent them frogs. You know, your god is frog god? Well, I got frogs. And uh, your god's the fly god? I'll send flies. And so whatever god Egypt had, if you look it up, you can see that god, the plagues that he sent, took out their gods, basically, then finally their big one, Ra, the sun god. You know, and so here he sends darkness, complete darkness in the middle of the day on Egypt's side. But over here in the land of Goshen, where all the Jews are, where all the Israelites are, it's completely light, and they can see and go about and do everything they're doing while the rest of them are groping around. And you got to wonder if there was one Jewish kid, I just know I would have. You go over right where that difference was, and you stick your hand in there, see if it disappears. Like Bug, Bugs Bunny, you know, put... Right? That's where I would go with that. But Anyway, the, uh, the Lord rules over the light and the dark. He can change. He can put his hand any time. Joshua, when he went up against those five kings, the Amorites, you know, and there's, these were massive armies. Five kings says, look at what he did to Ai. We've got we to gotta join together and get this guy. And so uh, you know the story, Joshua 10. But um, So he... he you know, Lord says, I'll give you every last one of those guys. And he's looking at this. 
Joshua had faith. Let's go. So they get, get after it. He's fighting and he's going after it. And he's running out of daylight. And he knows it. And there's a lot more to get done. A lot more of these guys to take out. He's running out. Lord, stop the moon. Stop the sun. Hold it in their place. And if you look at Joshua 10, it says, you know, he would, he did. And it says the Lord promised that he would deliver every one of them into his hands. And he did. And he stopped the moon and sun and the moon. But don't let it escape your notice. If you do look in Joshua 10, 14, it says there was no other day like that before or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man to do such a thing, to stop celestial beings, to stop the earth. However he did it, I don't know, but God put all these things in place. They're together by his existence. But here's the interesting part about that story. It says, he hearkened unto the voice of a man for a reason. It says, for the Lord fought for Israel. That's, you know, we have to know that the Lord is fighting for Israel. And it says, uh, why did this happen? The Lord fights for Israel. In light of that, let's do a quick trip over to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, and we're going to look at verse 35 and 36. Again there, the, the word, the name for the Lord is Jehovah. It says, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar? The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. Thus says the Lord, if heaven can, above can be measured and the foundation of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. They are never going to measure space. They're never going to find out what's at the center of the earth. It's iron and it's molten. Well, how do you know? I've, I've been told otherwise. There's something going on at the center of the earth. You know, the word of God says that they're never going to find the end. And that's to be trusted. But notice what he says again. This is about Israel. And it's about God's covenant with Israel. This is about the, the, uh, the land, his covenant with the land. Well, yes, since Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Greek, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, all are one in Christ Jesus. He's torn down that, that wall that separates the two. And so we know that in Christ, there is no uh, difference between Jew or Greek or anything. But God has made Israel, the land, and his covenant with the land, fastened to the fact that we saw the sun come up this morning and we're going to see the moon tonight if it's not cloudy. Until those things go away, God's going to still be dealing with the land and the covenant he made with Israel and this is our, our eschatology. This is why we believe in May 1948, God brought back the Jews into the land like he promised and, and prophecies being fulfilled in the, in the times. Our, the time, the clock has begun. And here we are. I wasn't talking about this. I'm going to run way out of time. Forgive me. But here we are for the first time in the world where every human being in the world is being told what they need to know about something. A virus. It's a pandemic. Now, it's, it's also panic for panic's sake in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I, if you're a healthcare provider, you know all the things that we need to do, and certainly we don't want to take risks and all the stuff like that. But notice the prophecy being fulfilled about the entire world being um, influenced by this Antichrist and talked about in scriptures. This is 
I'm sure there's, there's other similarities, but now we're literally being told there's something we need to be aware of and we need to respond to, and every person on the earth is being told this thing. This is huge. We're, we're going to be going home soon. Um, so the Lord fights for Israel. Now also moving on to light and dark and so forth. Remember three hours of darkness when the Lord was crucified. The Lord held back the light of sun. God has arranged the sun and the moon and the stars the way he wants. In Revelation, there's going to be a star that falls to the earth, poisons one-third of the waters of the uh, rivers and the sea. Another star is going to fall, and it's going to open up the bottomless pit. Let's go to Job and see how the Lord would answer the wisdom of the world. If you want to switch to Job uh, 38. Job suffered. The Lord allowed Satan to put him in a lot of pain and suffering and take away his family and his possessions and left him with these three friends, so-called, who basically were trying to tell Job how it was his fault and how he needed to do this and do that to get it fixed. And he needed to look to himself. Job just sitting there going, I've done everything I can. What did I do wrong? Nothing's coming to me. I don't know what to do. And he's crying out to the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? But to both of them, these three friends who... You know, if you read through Job, you'll see you know, they needed to repent big time, even though they were so seemingly good intention telling Job how God was doing this to him. But anyway, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, verse 38, or uh, Job 38, 1 through 7. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I'll question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And where it's, where, to what is its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Wow, is that ring of Psalm 8? Man, and one day we're going to hear this. God's creation, all of creation, waits for the Lord to come down. In verses 12 through 15, Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth? And the wicked be shaken out of it. It takes form like clay under a seal. It stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and the upraised arm is broken. In verses 19 to 21, Where is the way uh, to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? Now God's asking. He's asking not only Job, but all of us. You know, where does light come from? You know, there's guys that figure out photons. Well, now that they know what it is, fine. Where did it come from? You know, where is the way to the dwelling of light? The darkness, where is its place? That you may take it to its territory, that you know the path of its home, to its home. You know, do you know it? Because you were born then? Or because the number of your days is great? And in verses 31, 33... Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades? Now we're talking about the stars and the, the zodiac, or if you will. Um, or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the Maseroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances, there's that word again, of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? God set these things. God ordained these things. His ordinances. Genesis 1, when he created everything in their place, it says he saw that it was good and he made it by him, for him, to his glory, and for his good pleasure. 
and he gave it all to mankind. Genesis 1, over all the earth, with, all, with today's technology, we see all these beautiful galaxies and creatures from the bottom of the sea that we've never seen before, bizarre you know, fish that you probably go online and look at these things that you find from these submarines that are five miles down in the Mariana Trench. And, and it's un, never before seen. And all these things that he did by him, for him, for his glory. We try to quantify infinity. Now that's an oxymoron. Put that on your refrigerator. Quantify infinity. <laughs> Good luck with that. It's not, you know, and yet we still find ourselves unable to measure anything. It's, they're so desperate to put a tape measure on God because once they have, now they can put him in, his for, in their formulas. Okay, therefore. But, you know. But we're so insignificant, right? That's what we're getting at with all of this. You know, all these things, all the depths of the oceans, all the, all the depths of space and the universe. Um, so what's the question? And going back to Psalm 8. What is the question as a result of all these things? I consider all these things. He's looking up at a blanket of stars unimpeded by all the lights that we have today. So it was a blanket. And um, wondering at all those things. And, and so... Verses 4 is the question. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. There's two similar but separate meanings here for the word man in verse 4. The first one, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man? The first one, mortal, a person, mankind, of mankind, individual, or of men, it's used. Now the son of man, the word son there is male child, grandson, or youth. In other words, you're coming out of this other guy, this other second man, very similar but a little different. It's mankind, but it's human. The word is Adam there. Not a ghost, not a spirit, alone, but fully man. 100% fully man of mankind, born from Adam and every man since. So what is man and the son of man that you're mindful of him? Um, of the same existence of every human being since God breathed life into Adam. And he asks him to be mindful. Or he, he's wondering, you know, what makes you mindful? Remember man in all this creation what makes you bring him to mind you know why would you recall and i we, we're not going to have time but if you would jot down psalm 40 and jot down psalm 139 for your homework you do have homework in case you didn't know and uh, we can do psalm 40 verse 5 and i'll just read it for you god looking down to man why are you even mindful of man it says, many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. I would declare, boy, that's interesting. I haven't seen that till just now. Cannot be recounted to you in order. In other words, we're thinking of our lives as we go along, and God's thoughts to us, and how, we, how he blesses us, and see, we can give him glory for things, but he's been thinking about things throughout our life, the beginning from the end. Anyway, I would declare and speak of them, or if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. 
you know, and so his thoughts towards us are innumerable. Son of Man appears 192 times in the Bible. Over 90 times it's used as a name for Ezekiel, surprisingly. Uh, 88 times in the New Testament it's uh, written, but obviously the Gospels have overlapping where uh, either Mark or Matthew or Luke tell, or John tell the same stories, and he said the same. So it's kind of a redundancy there, if you will. But um, in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, it's important to note that Ezekiel was called a Son of Man. Never in reading Ezekiel is he called the, with the title, Son of Man. Um, Ezekiel was a prophet. Uh, maybe he just needed to be reminded that he was just another man, right? Because son of man, that word man means human. Adam, you're just a man, just human, 100% human being, nothing else. And that is for a guy named Ezekiel who saw cherubim, seraphim, four, uh, four creatures in heaven before the throne, unbelievable things, and that he tried to describe the wheels and, and all these things before. And then the throne, and then Ezekiel hears a voice coming from the throne of God, falls on his face. So he gets back from that, and he's thinking, guys, look what I saw. No, Ezekiel, you're just a son of man. You're just a human like everybody else. Kind of like Paul, right? When Paul was taken up into the third heaven, and he saw, or I shouldn't say saw, but he heard things he couldn't, re- he couldn't repeat, things unspeakable, things that uh, he, can't, he cannot describe, put into words. What did he have? A thorn in his side. Because he saw these things. Paul, you're just a man. You know, you got this thorn you got to deal with. What's good for you? Grace is sufficient for you because you're going to need grace. Ezekiel, you're just a man, son of man. So that appears 192 times in the Bible, 90 times for Ezekiel. And uh, from then on, um, you know, you're just a, uh, he's just called the son of man. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man over 30 times if you count them. Again, you know, putting together the different verses, I think it's 80 times or so, but um, it, if you put together the verses that line up uh, from different accounts, it's about 30 times. And we know that Psalm 8 is a prophecy. If you want to turn to Hebrews 1, when you look at Psalm 8 by itself, it looks like he's just talking about man and son of man. You know, why do you consider us? But as it turns out, if you go to Hebrews Chapter 1, verses 5, and we'll read through 2, 9. Speaking of God speaking to us. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be a son to me. But when again he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, to the Son, he says, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And the Lord in the midst of, uh, and you, Lord, in the midst of, where am I? And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak, and you'll fold them up, and they'll be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand, 
till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Now he says, don't, you know, give, we, we have to give ear, earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels alone uh, proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received the just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And here it is. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testifies in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. Crowned him with glory and honor. Set him over the works of your hands and put all things under his, in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. But we do see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering and the death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Son of man, and we're starting to see he's also the son of God. Jesus refers to himself Son of Man for a reason. He's establishing his humanity. You know, he was fully man. He was fully God. He established it by, in the Gospels, you know, saying foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to sleep. He's just a man. Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they'll call him a glutton and a drunkard and friend of sinners, just like any one of us. He came to serve. Son of Man came to serve and not be served. He came... He, he, he's the Son of Man, was betrayed. Son of Man suffered. He was rejected and delivered into the hands of sinful man, just like anybody could do to one of us. And Daniel 7 now begins to open up the prophecy. If you want to turn back to Daniel 7, this is a phrase used of the Messiah. And the prophecy in, in, in Daniel 7 deals with the final kings of the earth when the Antichrist... And his reign will be ended. And Jesus, along with his saints, reign in his kingdom, in his dominion, as an everlasting kingdom. He's referred to as the Son of Man, a human, an Adam. And what is it, verse 13 and 14? It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. By referring to himself as the Son of Man, he declares that he is the fulfillment of Daniel 7, the only Old Testament reference besides Psalm 8 and I think Psalm 139, uh, there's another one, Psalm 113 I think, uh, where it speaks of the Son of Man, but it speaks of the Son of Man as just the Son of Man. Daniel 7 talks about glory. Daniel 7 talks about a, a kingdom, a dominion, everlasting, never, never going to fade, never going to go away. Son of Man is the Son of God. Let's look at John 3. You flip over to John 3, and then uh, 
Looking at verses 13 through 18, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, making sure everybody knew his humanity, making sure everybody knew he was talking about Daniel chapter 7, and he was the one. So John three thirteen through 18, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, and, but have everlasting life. And it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, um, but that the world through him might be saved. It says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Son of man is the Son of God. In the next page, John eight eighteen. I'm sorry, John five eighteen. Just one page over. It says, the Jews therefore sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making him equal with God. And we'll read more about that in, in the next chapter. But it says, Jesus answered and said to them, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son as they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who fear him will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him all authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. These things are too wonderful. He's created human. Uh, he, he was not created human. He was born into this world human and uh, into mankind. Another Adam talks about elsewhere in scriptures. And um, what's amazing about it is it's his priesthood. It's his knowledge of all that we get tempted with and all the things. He is a perfect high priest. In, in John uh, 6, 26 to 58 is a long stretch, but I'm going to read it. It's so good. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not. Um, yeah, I'll keep reading. Uh, because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who I sent. 
Well, they therefore said, well, what sign will you perform that we may see it and, and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives to the world. And then they said to them, well, Lord, give us this bread always, now and forever. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in uh, me shall never thirst. You know, so I am, one of the I am statements, but most importantly here, he's bread. That's the context here. And so when he goes on to talk about some of these other things, you know, keep in mind, he's bread. He's the bread that, of life for us, that we would gather up to ourselves. But he said, you have, um, that you have seen me and yet do not believe, and all the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that he's given me I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last hour. And that is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son believes in him and may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Praise the Lord. But the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And how is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? And Jesus says, I hear your murmuring. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned uh, from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except for me, uh, except for uh, he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Anyone eats this bread he will live forever, and the bread shall I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Well, this is where things get interesting because these guys try and make a point, figure out, catch them in something, I don't know, but they start quarreling among themselves. Well, how can this guy feed us his flesh you know, to eat? That's, that's unholy. That's forbidden. That's ridiculous. You know, and there's not enough of them to go around, to say the least. And so... What Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink this blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me, that's the ticket here. We're not talking about eating his flesh and eating, drinking his blood, and the places that would tell you that it's going to be blessed and therefore it becomes the literal, or it's going to turn into it when it enters your mouth or whatever. You know, he's saying, no, what it is, it's simple. It's right here. If you feed on me, feed on the bread of life. You know, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate in manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. You know, you can take all the communion you want and thinking it's some kind of turning into the blood, it's, you're still going to die. That's what he's saying here. But yes, we remember him and we do observe these things because he said so. He says, do this stuff to remember me. 
And what are we remembering? The cross. We're remembering he was crucified, dead and buried, and raised up. And so, eating this bread living forever. Jesus was the Son of Man. Jesus was the Son of God. Was the Son of Man before creation. That can be a doctrinal problem because man wasn't around yet. God created man. And Jesus became the Son of Man. Jesus became God incarnate. He came, he was sent, and he came to say that he was uh, Son of Man as in a human being. Uh, You know, doctrinally speaking, I know that the lamb that was slain was before the foundation of the world. That lamb that was slain, you know, I don't know that... uh, I'm, I, I've got a pea brain, and that smashes the pea. Okay, so I, there's nothing there but a little pile of green goo when it comes to this, because I cannot tell you for sure. My answer is no, because you know man wasn't created yet, and it's his humanity that's being talked about here. He was with the Father from all eternity, and had the glory of the Father with the Father of all for all eternity. Will Jesus still be the Son of Man when he reigns in glory? I mean, he's going to be in heaven. He's going to be back with the Father. You know, is, is he still going to be human? Is he still going to be just like Adam, just like me or you? Let's look. Mark 8, and I'm going to take an extra five minutes of your afternoon if you don't mind. Mark 8, and verse 38. He's talking about p- picking up the cross and following him and counting the cost. You're going to come after him, denying yourself. When he says, but whoever is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when? When he comes in the glory of his Father with holy angels. The Son of Man is coming with his Father in the glory, with his angels. Go over to Mark 13, and we'll just kind of make sure it's fastened. 24, 26. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon will not give its light and the stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And flip the page to chapter 14, 60 and 60 through 62. Um, you know, these guys... Uh, this was beyond what they could handle as, as the high priest and the Sanhedrin and the, and the scribes, the Jews, and the leadership of Israel at that time. They could not handle Jesus. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, do you answer nothing? For He was being accused and you know, he was being silent. They weren't gonna, um, he couldn't respond. It's a false accusation. He was a lamb before the slaughter. But um, says, do you answer nothing? Uh, what is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and he answered nothing. And again, the high priest asked and said, well, what about this? Are you the Christ? Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus couldn't hold back. He had to tell him. He had to tell him what's true. I am. And you will see the son of man. Boy, these guys had to have a problem with that. They knew Daniel. They didn't like Daniel. They still don't like reading Daniel in Israel to this day or in the synagogues to this day because it's hard to deny Jesus was the Messiah. When you read through Daniel, take it literally, they got to mess with it. I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power 
and coming in the clouds of heaven. Notice he was sitting. Revelation 1, John saw, and it was majestic. And he, had, he, describes, and he describes him as the Son of Man when he sees him. And when John saw heaven at the end, when he was uh, in the book of Revelation. And also in 14, uh, 13 through 16, if you want to jot those down. But we do got to go to Acts. If you would turn with me to Acts 7, 54 through 60. Stephen had been, he was one of the deacons, and he had been uh, serving tables and all, but he knew the word, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, and so he would get into discussions, if you will. And with these uh, Jews and the Judaizers and the guys uh, that they were trying to, you know, prove that Jesus was nothing. And, you know, he just basically gets to the point, says, you guys... And he goes through the history of Israel. He proves himself to them. I know the, I know the history. I know the, our fathers. I know uh, the prophets. And I know what David, the psalmist, said. You know, and uh, I know the stories. He recounts all that with them so that they have to know that he knows the scriptures. He says in 47, But Solomon built a house, and however the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet said. My, but it says, Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What house are you going to build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? And uh, he goes on to say, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised of heart, you know, and, and uh, obviously they're getting furious with him. But, and he says, you know, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those, uh, foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, and who have received the law by the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. He just basically indicted them. And, you know, they were drawn and quartered. They were furious. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. But did they repent? Did they fall on their face? No, it says they gnashed their teeth at him. And being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with loud, stopped up their ears, and stoned him. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So when David writes Psalm 8, Son of Man, why would you be mindful? You know, And um, he finishes it off by saying, and and the last verse, verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So what's David talking about? Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what David's talking about. And I pray that, um, you know, ministers to your hearts that you would know who is the Son of Man. Why don't we stand up and pray? Lord, I... Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being so faithful to show us who you are so that we can worship you and so that we can call on your name. I pray that you'd uh, meet us here this morning, Lord. I pray that you'd go with us as we go out. We need your Holy Spirit to accomplish all that you've desired to do through us and to seal us until you come. And Lord, we just thank you that you're with us right now. We thank you that you are the Son of Man right now in glory. Lord, if you were to open up the heavens, we would see you standing at the right hand of the Father. So we just pray you bless and send us on your way.
Keep us until that day you come. In Jesus' name, amen. It's true. I am. And you will see the Son of Man. Boy, these guys had to have a problem with that. They knew Daniel. They didn't like Daniel. They still don't like reading Daniel in Israel to this day or in the synagogues to this day because it's hard to deny Jesus was the Messiah. When you read through Daniel, take it literally, they've got to mess with it. I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Notice he was sitting. Revelation 1, John saw, and it was majestic. And he, had, he, describes, and he describes him as the Son of Man when he sees him. And when John saw heaven at the end, when he was uh, in the book of Revelation, and also in 14, uh, 13 through 16, if you want to jot those down. But we do got to go to Acts. If you would turn with me to Acts 7, 54 through 60. Stephen had been, he was one of the deacons, and he had been uh, serving tables and all, but he knew the word, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, and so he would get into discussions if you will. And with these uh, Jews and the Judaizers and the guys uh, that they were trying to, you know, prove that Jesus was nothing. And, you know, he just basically gets to the point, says, you guys. And he goes through the history of Israel. He proves himself to them. I know the, I know the history. I know the, our fathers. I know uh, the prophets. And I know what David, the psalmist, said. You know, and uh, I know the stories. He recounts all that with them so that they have to know that he knows the scriptures. He says in 47, But Solomon built a house, and however the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet said. My, but it says, Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What house are you going to build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? And... Uh, he goes on to say, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised of heart, you know, and, and uh, obviously they're getting furious with him. But, and he says, you know, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those, uh, foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, and who have received the law by the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. He just basically indicted them and, you know, they were drawn and quartered. They were furious. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. But did they repent? Did they fall on their face? No, it says they gnashed their teeth at him. And being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with loud, stopped up their ears and stoned him. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So when David writes Psalm 8, Son of Man, why would you be mindful? You know, and um, he finishes it off by saying in, in the last verse, verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So what's David talking about? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what David's talking about. And I pray that, um, you know, ministers to your hearts that you would know who is the Son of Man. Why don't we stand up and pray? Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for being so faithful to show us who you are so that we can worship you. 
and so that we can call on your name. I pray that you'd uh, meet us here this morning, Lord. I pray that you'd go with us as we go out. We need your Holy Spirit to accomplish all that you've desired to do through us and to seal us until you come. And Lord, we just thank you that you're with us right now. We thank you that you are the Son of Man right now in glory. Lord, if you were to open up the heavens, we would see you standing at the right hand of the Father. So we just pray you bless and send us on your way. Keep us until that day you come. In Jesus' name, amen.